Hello, welcome along. It's getting a bit hot down here on planet Earth, so let's cool down and take a quick trip across the universe. It's a brand new Fun Kids Science Weekly. My name's Dan. This is the show where we explore the incredible universe around us to find some of those science secrets that have slithered away that have hidden themselves from human eyes before, and we uncover them and make some huge discoveries. Now this week, if you love space, you'll love the episode. If you love Formula One and racing, you'll love this episode. We are chatting to Emma Mosley, who has been looking at the links of how space exploration has made race cars even faster. During the very first mission, so the Mercury missions, they needed to monitor the astronauts because it was the first time they were sending people up into space and they didn't know how they would cope, whether it be too hard on the body or be great. They, they didn't know this. They needed to monitor the astronauts. So they were the first to come up with a health monitoring system to put on the astronauts so that they could then transmit the data back down to the ground so they can see how they're doing. Also, we'll go to Deep Space High to take a look at space storms. One thing I've noticed is that there are a lot of satellites and probes up here. Over 2,000 in Earth's orbit alone, in fact. And I've got your questions. As always, this week we're staying in space for one of them, having a look at the International Space Station, and we're talking about yawning and why when you yawn, other people yawn. So just a warning, you might yawn in the next 20 minutes. It's on the way in a brand new Fun Kids Science Weekly. Let's kick things off with your science in the news. More blistering heat waves and storms have swept right across Europe. Experts have said they would be virtually impossible without human-caused climate change. Burning fossil fuels have contributed to a lot of this. They've made heat waves in China 50 times more likely. A study has found it's made the heat wave we've got in Britain right now 2.5 degrees hotter than normal. It sounds tiny, but it makes a huge difference. And all societies are completely unprepared for deadly extreme heat. And we need to work to fix things quickly. That's what the expert scientists have said. Also, a European space telescope has launched from Florida on a quest to find what the universe is really made of. The USLID mission will make a huge 3D map of space to try and answer some questions about dark matter and dark energy. Now, dark matter takes up a huge amount of everything. It's about 70% of all of the universe. But we don't know much about it because it doesn't reflect light. And because we don't know that, we can't properly answer questions about what the universe is made of. It'll travel 1.5 million kilometres away to look at light that we can see very closely figure out how it bends and moves because that might show where dark matter is in the way i love this i love that scientists are always asking questions that there's something we don't know and we can't really properly know because we can't see it so we've used other methods of experiments to figure out what it all really means And here's some good news. People can swim in the River Seine again. It's a huge river in France. It runs right through Paris, the capital. Now, swimming in it has been banned for a century, but over a billion pounds have been spent to clean it up, and it will be used in the Paris Olympics next year. Some of the swimming events will be there, and after that, it will be so clean that maybe locals, Parisians themselves, can take a dip in the River Seine. Let's check in with Techno Mum then. Techno Mum is a genius. One of the smartest people that helped make this show. She knows all about gadgets and gizmos, tech that we use every day and how they help us out. This week, we're learning about the brilliant engineering behind gadgets with Tim and his mum and how they work in sports 
we're watching the tennis and finding out exactly how the umpires know if a ball is in or out. Techno Mum, with the Institution of Engineering and Technology, advancing and sharing technology. Now, I never really understand why Mum likes watching tennis so much. She's normally very happy watching turbo gadgets or science news, and so am I. But two blokes bashing a ball around sounds pretty boring to me. So why do you like watching tennis, Mum? There's not much space-age technology going on there. What are you talking about? There's stacks of cool technology in tennis. In fact, most sports, look. First off, those balls. They're packed with technology. Did you know they can make some balls slow and others fast just by changing their composition? In a tournament, every single ball used has to meet the exact same standards. They can't use any old ball. That takes a lot of engineering. And check out that racket. Yeah, he's a bit loud. No, his tennis racket. Same stuff as you'd find on the space shuttle. I don't remember space shuttle astronauts playing much tennis. I would have thought the lack of gravity would have made it a bit difficult. Very funny, love. I mean the material they're made out of. Carbon fibre is super light, which helps to make the players' reactions faster. The heads of rackets are also bigger these days because engineers worked out it gave them a bigger sweet spot to clobber the ball with. And even his clothing is designed to be as light and cool as possible, so he can concentrate on the game. Hang on, he's going to serve. Shush a minute. That was never out. What a joke. Well, there's some more engineering in action for you. The sensors that tell when the ball goes out. That one must be faulty. It was in by a mile. I thought it was the bloke sitting in the high chair there. Doesn't he just press the buzzer? No, it's an electronic line judge. They've used him in tennis for years to help stop arguments. Over the years, they've used all sorts. Pressure sensors, sensors to detect magnetised or electrically conductive tennis balls, infrared laser beams. These days, it's mostly high-definition video cameras. But it's not just tennis where they're used. They're used at the finish line of athletics races and football matches. It seems like everyone's taking sport very seriously. I thought it was meant to be a game. That reminds me of something Mum once told me. Hang on, Mum. Didn't you tell me it's not the winning that matters, it's the taking part that counts? Shouldn't players just be enjoying the game and not worrying about being faster and better and winning all the time? That's a very good point, Tim. Some people do think that all the technology gets in the way of the game. But the way I see it, if the players are playing better and the game is faster and more accurate, well, it's loads more exciting. Now we're getting to the good part, so can you be a love and shush it? How much longer does it go on for? It's only a few more hours. Don't read a book. It won't kill you. But Turbo Gadgets is on soon. But there's Turbo Gadgets right here in the tennis match. Techno Mum, with the Institution of Engineering and Technology. Advancing and sharing technology. Let's get to your questions then. If you have anything sciencey that you want answered on the show, there is a few ways that you can get in touch. I'd love you to be the star of the whole thing. I'd love to hear how curious you are. You can do that by leaving it as a voice note at funkidslive.com or on the free Fun Kids app. Make sure you drop your name. Uh, leave your question as well so I can say hello. Also, you can do it on Apple Podcasts. That's what RSF500 has done, who wants to know, how do people in space, astronauts, actually know where the International Space Station is? Well, the position of the ISS is always being tracked and it travels fast. It goes around the Earth 16 times in one day. You can get there as quick as four hours after being launched from planet Earth. Eight spaceships can be connected to it all at once and they can use classic methods of exploration 
by charting fast spinning neuron stars called pulsars, which pretty much stay in the same place. So that shows where they are. It's a bit like, right, take a right by that star, a left by that galaxy, and you'll find it. It's that kind of thing. So they know where the space station is at a certain time because they're always tracking it. They aim for it. They know how long it will take them to get there. And using thrusters, they're able to accelerate and steer in space to get them closer. The real tricky part is when they need to catch up and dock at a very precise position. Thank you so much for the question. This has also been sent in through Apple Podcasts. A user called I Love Guinea Pigs 12. If that's you, thank you very much for your question. And I'm very happy that you love guinea pigs. They want to know, why when I see someone yawn, do I want to yawn as well? Here's what's amazing. Experts don't exactly know. They think it might have evolved through evolution to keep us on our toes and aware. Way back when we were cave people and there were predators all around, you needed to be on guard. So if you saw someone yawning, you figured out they were tired, it might make you yawn. It might kick your brain into high gear and make you realise you're a bit tired. So you need to be extra vigilant and aware because other people feel tired. It's also to do with something scientists call social mirroring. When you see someone do something... Your brain thinks that might be a good thing for you to do as well. A good example of this is if you ever see someone scratching their face or something, you remember the feeling of scratching your face and your brain wants that. So your face might get a bit itchy, so you scratch it too. It's the same thing, this social mirroring. You have no idea how closely humans are linked and when we see someone do one thing, your unconscious deep down thought takes over and says, oh, maybe that might be a good idea for me to do as well. Thank you so much for the question. If you have anything that you want answered next week on the podcast, please make sure you leave it as a voice note because I want you to star in the podcast. I want to hear what you're thinking. You can do that by dropping it as a voice note on funkidslive.com. We've got a big record button there or you can do it on the free Fun Kids app. It's the Fun Kids Science Weekly. Now, you might be fascinated by the Formula One right now. You might be more fascinated to know that space technology is helping the cars to go even faster. We can find out more with Emma Mosley from the National Space Centre, our good mates. Emma, thank you for being there. Thank you for having me. How did you start the research first in how space tech is still being used in F1 and how it's changed racing history? Where did you begin looking things up? Well, NASA have on their website a thing called spin-offs where they describe all the technology that they've created for the space missions, including Apollo, and how it's made its way into everyday life. And there's quite a few things that have made their way through the different industries, and including F1. So let's talk about how we keep the drivers safe. Spacesuits, we know them. They look big, they look cumbersome, they're squashed full of oxygen. And, and racing suits are a lot sleeker than that. But I know that over the last four or five decades, spacesuits have influenced racing suits. How? Well, after the sad disaster of Apollo 1, they wanted to create spacesuits to be fireproof. And looking through the different materials, they worked with a company called DuPont, uh, who already had a fireproof material called Nomex. And Apollo 12 astronaut Pete Conrad. He was an amateur racer and he really enjoyed racing. And at one race meet, he met Bill Simpson, a professional racer who also made safety equipment. And he was telling him about this wonder material, Nomex, that NASA was using and its fireproof qualities. So you're able to move around and not be strapped in and stuck without being able to move the steering wheel. So it was a great material to use. So they used it and also Hinchman as well, working with the Chapon Chemical Company. So it was such a good material and 
very handy. The, all the drivers loved it. And it's moved across from Indy 500 all the way to F1. Wow, fireproof material that's light and flexible. I know that that's not the only way uh, kind of developments in spacesuits have kept drivers safe. They do things now where they monitor all of your vital signs. So this is your heartbeat, how much you're sweating, what your breathing is like. I know that space has affected that. Uh, how much so? Well, during the very first mission, so the Mercury missions, they needed to monitor the astronauts because it was the first time they were sending people up into space and they didn't know how they would cope, whether it be too hard on the body or be great. They, they didn't know this. They needed to monitor the astronauts. So they were the first to come up with a health monitoring system to put on the astronauts so that they could then transmit the data back down to the ground so they can see how they're doing. And one of those things was to monitor the heart rate and also how much they're breathing, so a spirometer as well. And this technology has just improved over the years. So many companies have taken the knowledge gained from these missions and created health systems. So today we now have our smartwatches monitoring our heart rate and blood oxygen. It's now the gloves of an F1 driver having a three millimeter sensor. If there's an accident, the medics can instantly see the health of the driver. That's amazing. I love the the constant developments that we're using to make drivers safe, but it also spreads across into well, simply making the car faster. And if you look at an F1 car now, it's got so much going on. They're getting thinner, they're getting lighter and quicker. And this, uh, uh, a lot to do with tyres, how thick and how good they are at gripping. And I know that space has influenced how we check tyre pressure, Emma. Can you tell us more? Well, the Space Shuttle has six giant tyres on them, roughly just over a metre in diameter, and they're filled with nitrogen to a very high pressure. So you're looking at between 300 and 340 PSI. I mean, my car tyres are only roughly about 33 PSI, so that's very high pressure. Now, these tyres, they're really important for landing safely and making sure that the space shuttle lands and gets to the end of the runway. So they needed to check the tyre pressures. They had an external strain gauge, but unfortunately wasn't very reliable at very low pressures. So they needed a new system. So they developed a tyre pressure sensor with the help of a few companies, so a bit like Nova Sensor. They created a little sensor, which is roughly about a millimetre square, to be housed with a battery and a transmitter to put on the tyres so they can tell the crew of the space shuttle and the people down on the ground instantly what the pressure inside the tyres are. And then this has obviously gone into the automotive market for all tyre pressure management systems today. And F1 cars are absolutely tiny. They need to make things as small as possible. And this is true with cameras, isn't it? Space cameras, how we see astronauts on board rockets, has directly affected not just F1 cars today, but also cameras that we might use when we go on holiday with our families, GoPro, things like that. Tell us more about these conductor image sensors cameras. So, yeah, NASA in the 90s wanted to create cheaper, faster, better spacecraft so they could do more when they're observing in space or for communications, things like that. So they needed to research new technologies to completely push the boundaries of what they could do. And one of the scientists, Eric Fossum at Jet Propulsion Laboratories, managed to create a, this is a big name, a complementary metal oxide semiconductor, or also known as CMOS imaging sensors. Now, the very first one was done in Japan, but he managed to get a setup where it worked really well, where it used very low amount of power in comparison to the other technology, which were called 
charge couple devices that was in use at the time. So this is great. It uses less power. It's also a lot smaller. So it means it takes up less room. It's also lighter, which is great for things like GoPros. So they took the technologies after it was all licensed and painted it and created small cameras that we can use if you're going surfing or skateboarding, things like that, that you could show what you get up to. So your eye viewpoint of what you see as you do it. And that's great. And that also means now we can have cameras in the F1 car, in the cockpit, the helmet cam for the F1 driver. And these cameras are everywhere. They're in your smartphone, your laptops, here in everyday life. Now, if you're in the UK at the moment and you're heading towards your summer holidays, the National Space Centre is a brilliant place to check out. Emma, can you just tell us about some things that you've got going on up in Leicester to keep us busy for the next couple of months? Over the summer, we've got a solar system summer. And we'll be talking about the solar system, so you can make your very own solar system to fold up and pop in your wallet. And um, we're going to have, have UVB charms that you can make yourself while talking about solar flares. We're going to be making comets in front of everyone, so you can see what a comet is made of and how we can make one here in the space centre. So there's lots going on. So much going on. You can find out everything about it. Just get to spacecenter.co.uk. Emma Mosley, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Let's get to this week's Dangerous Dan, where we look at some of the most mean, weird, strange, unique and dangerous things in the universe. This week, we're looking at a plant that is stuffed full of poisons. You'll find the white snakeweed plant in North America, and it's spread to be a weed and a pest across different parts of the world. Its green stem and leaves rise to white, fluffy, spiky buds. It can grow to about two metres tall, and it is chock-a-block full of a poison called Tremetol. Now, it was eaten by a lot of cows, and it makes them very sick. It doesn't kill the cow, it just makes them very unwell. The real trouble, though, is when the cows make milk and humans drink it. That poison from the white snakeweed festers in the cow. It grows, it becomes even more deadly, and then it kicks in. Now, hundreds of years ago, when humans first went to America, we didn't really have a lot. We had to live off the land. We didn't really know anything about this poison. So humans back then would drink the cow's milk not knowing it had been poisoned with the white snakeweed, and it did real damage. It made people extremely sick, many people died. It's estimated that snakeweed poisoning killed thousands of people during the first years of settlers exploring the USA, simply because they didn't know the milk that they were eating was poisoned. And that is why this simple little plant, chock-a-block full of dangerous stuff, the white snakeweed goes straight into our dangerous stand list. Before we finish up this week, I think we can squeeze in a quick trip to the smartest school in the solar system. We're heading to Deep Space High. For the last few weeks, we've been catching up with Professor Pulsar, Sam Stats, Quark, learning all about space weather. This week, it's all about Space Store, which is a way to predict the effect of space weather on satellites. And we're taking a trip to the far side of the sun to see stereo. Deep Space High Intergalactic Weather Watch. One thing I've noticed is that there are a lot of satellites and probes up here. Over 2,000 in Earth's orbit alone, in fact. That's right, Stats. Although only about 1,300 of them are operational. 
The rest is just space junk. <laughs> a bit like Sam's workbook. Hey, with all the real rubbish, they need a space rubbish truck. Before you dispose of all of them, Sam, those operational satellites play vital roles. Observing Earth, helping navigation, providing communication. And all of them must get a lot of solar wind up here. Yep, outside the Earth's magnetic field, there's no protection against those high-energy waves of radiation from the sun. And those high-energy waves don't mix well with the machinery and computers, right? Correct. It can cause them to produce faulty readings and even stop working altogether. Fortunately, there are scientists who help satellite owners keep an eye on the conditions up here. They even produce forecasts. What, like a weather forecast on TV? Well, it's not on TV, but certainly just as useful. It's a project called Space Storm. They combine the space weather readings with the lightly effect on satellite technology. And it's not just helpful to people who operate satellites already, it's also useful for satellite designers so they can make sure new designs can cope with space weather. Hey, watch out for that space junk. Let's get out of here. I know just the place. Whoa, where are we going? The far side of the sun. Should be a bit quieter there. That's better. No one here but us. Um, not totally alone. What's that doing out here? Ha, <laughs> that's stereo. Or oh, one half of stereo. Doesn't look like a stereo to me. Looks like a satellite. It is a satellite. Its name is Stereo. Stereo stands for Solar Terrestrial Relations Observatory. It's one of a pair. It and its twin were launched in 2006 in orbits around the sun in such a way that they're able to take readings from the far side. That's pretty cool. The measurements they've taken help give a full picture of the whole sun, not just the part you can see from Earth. The more of the sun that can be measured, the better that scientists can predict space weather. And there's a lot to measure. The sun is massive. You're right, it is. And next time we'll be getting even closer, so make sure you bring your sunglasses. Class dismissed. Deep Space High, Intergalactic Weather Watch. With support from the Science and Technology Facilities Council. Find out more at funkislive.com slash space. We'll have another trip across the solar system to the smartest school that's out there, Deep Space High, at the same time next week. And that's it for this week on the podcast. If you've enjoyed anything that you've heard, we've got loads more brilliant series for you on Google, Apple, Spotify, the Free Fun Kids app, wherever you get your shows. Remember, leave us a voice note so I can answer your questions next week on the Free Fun Kids app and at funkidslive.com. Fun Kids, we are a children's radio station from the UK. Listen on your DAB digital radio and at funkidslive.com.